Welcome to episode number 101 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we have back on the podcast, Ryan Fogelman, VP of Fire Elimination Solutions with Fire Rover, based out of the greater Detroit area. Ryan, thanks for coming back on the podcast today. It's good to be here. I can't believe it's 101. I mean, when you said that, it was uh, it's pretty amazing, the uh, journey that, you know, I think you and I both started pretty close to the same time. Yeah, I agree. We had Ryan on back in episode 14, talking about fire hazards in waste and recycling facilities. That was, uh, if I can do my math on the spot, 97 episodes ago, so almost two years ago. In that episode, we were talking about the research he had been doing on fire hazards and recycling waste facilities. And he did something very interesting and very similar to what we do with the Combustible Instant Database, where every year he's recording and, and his company's recording the fires in the, that are happening in these waste and recycling facilities. They create a really nice report. They create educational material from that. And that's what that earlier podcast episode was about. We also talked about how early detection can identify and stop fires during their incipient stages. So before they start to self-grow, before they you know, become a, a major problem that can cause a, a lot of damage at a facility. We talked about how a fire rover system is implemented to to detect and eliminate these type of fires. So in this episode, it's really Ryan reached out to me a couple of weeks ago, said, hey, we've been doing some really interesting things. We haven't talked for, for two years on the podcast, so I want to get him back on to talk about it. Um, so really, it's kind of free-flowing. We're going to talk about what is the fire rover system and what they've been up to and, and dig into some of these aspects definitely. So Ryan, I think a, a good spot to start might just be around you know, what is your role at Fire Rover and, and what is the, the Fire Rover system or what sort of solutions do you provide in waste and recycling? Yeah, and I think, I mean, you know, it, it's it's been a pretty interesting evolution over, uh, we started in 2016. My role is, you know, I, I guess you would call it business development, but, you know, I think when you're, when you, you're, you're with a startup company, you wear a lot of hats, right? So originally when I got into the industry, we, we were in the scrap metal industry from a security perspective. Um, that business had been around for 15 years. Uh, the inventor and the owner who is, uh, he's one of my best friends. I actually went to college with him. He had since passed away in 2018. But, you know, him and his partners, uh, Pete Mary and Jeremy Dusing, had developed the original fire rover system around scrap metal fires that were happening in scrap metal facilities, right? So ASR piles and uh, shredder operations. And so, you know, we, we had relationships there. Uh, we started focusing on waste and recycling. And again, I think, you know, looking back now, it's been five years. But in the beginning, you know, I always tell the story that, you know, we had this solution. We had one location at the time in 2015. And, you know, I met our biggest customer today, which now we're in eight of the top 10 waste and recycling companies in the U.S. And, um, you know, I, I met one of our, our biggest customers named Brent, but basically I showed him our system and I said, hey, what do you think? And he said, I love your system. It's awesome. Number one, he said, does it work? He's like, but assuming it works, right? Why do I need it? And I said, because you have fires. And his comment to me back was, do I? And it was pretty well known that their company had had four major fires, you know, over the, the couple year period before, because these are public companies. You know, when you have a drop to revenue, there's always a, a reason why. And, you know, there were four massive fires in their facilities. So I think, you know, fast forward, I, I started looking for research. And that's when, you know, I think you and I started talking. I mean, you know, I started doing the reported waste and recycling facility fires in the U.S. and Canada in February of 16 was when I first published. So I'd actually started 
um, or sorry, I published in August of 2016, but I started trending in February of 2016. And now five years later, you know, the waste and recycling industry has evolved from a fire protection perspective. The fire rover system in itself has, like our solution has completely evolved. Um, we've translated our technology and our application and our solutions into new industries. And we've also really helped I think we went through something called a lithium ion battery wave, which in 2018, you know, looking back, the globe saw it in 18 and, and that's when insurance companies got nervous and really the waste and recycling industry was forced to start looking at their fire planning, start looking at, you know, their disaster prevention plans and really start putting teeth in their safety programs and their operations. And then, you know, we actually came in and, and started pushing our early fire detection elimination solutions and then education to the public. Fast forward, you know, a year ago, one of the major CEOs at, um, at, at Waste Expo basically said that, you know, he had a transfer station fire and, and like one transfer station fire a day, every day in the month of March, a couple of years back. Right. So, you know, it went from everybody was kind of hiding the fact that they were having fires because they didn't want the insurance company to know um, or understand it. In 2018, I have actual claims data with the insurance company. Again, I used to always say like me bringing attention to it is not going to stop the insurers from being in the industry, right? The insurers see claims data and they have loss data and catastrophic data. So that's what they're looking at. And, you know, since I would say, I mean, we have 150 locations, you know, we're helping a lot of the major waste and recycling companies, but, you know, they really have cleaned up their act, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of the industry where we are at this point, um, you know, because everybody's talking about it, sharing best practices. Uh, you know, a lot of our videos are used for those best practices and shared within the industry. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been a very, um, kind of a pretty cool evolution of the industry and, and, you know, fire, the fire problem that we were seeing in the industry. Yeah, I love it. And it's kind of interesting. You, you released your, your first incident report, your first fire research report. You said in August 2016. I think our first incident database report came out maybe in, say December 2016 or was the it, it covered all of 2016 but we had done the, the work at the end of 2016 so we sort of started at the same time and there's a couple things I really appreciate about what you you've done and appreciated back when we last talked as well but the contrast between the sort of dark ages where it's swept under the rug you're not talking about it you know you ask somebody and they say you know well do I have fires when when you know maybe they do so there's that research component there's the education of okay well we collected this information you know, how do we use it? How do we use it to educate the facilities we're working with? How do we use it to educate the public? How do we use it to educate ourselves? But then combine that with, you know, research, education, and solution and getting results. And in your case, a lot of that time that goes around with the, the fire rover system. With our work, it's more connecting folks with the proper companies for equipment, for service supply, for consulting, for expertise um, and education to come in and help them. But it's the same model. It's becoming seen as that that provider that's trying to help people by doing what's needed to be done this research which i know i know you did it on your own time the same as i did on my own time when i started as well diving into this education component but then also saying well here we've made you aware of the problem we educate about the problem how do we connect you with the right person to or the right company or the right equipment to make your facility safer and how do we facilitate change so it's all good if you now know where you need to go but how do you make the the companies take that first step and sort of feeds back on itself in this loop. It's really interesting to see your progression in 
recycling industries and then sort of mirror our progression with with combustible dust as well as a, a broader industry. Yeah, no, and I think that makes sense. And and honestly, I mean, if we look at our solution, because, you know, again, our, our ultimate goal was never to be in one industry, right? I mean, we built this as a, as a solution to a scrap metal problem, right? And, you know, we were blessed by the waste and recycling industry, but really, like, I look at the opportunity that the entire world faces from a fire safety and a fire prevention and a fire protection perspective is, you know, you basically have three scenarios, right? Or, or three pillars, right? One is your, your, your prevention, your internal prevention plans, right? So how do you run your operations? So like the best operators have less fires, you know, bad operators in theory have more fires, right? But really at the end of the day, like you need best practices inside whatever operation that you're doing, you know, and again, that, that goes across all industries, right? And, and then the other thing is your professional response. So, you know, we, we hear all the time that, you know, in the UK, they have more fires, like complete catastrophic events and wasted recycling because they, you know, they have a more of a defensive approach than, you know, the, the American firefighters. And a lot of this is due to like liability factors and other things. But really, at the end of the day, how prepared and how active and aggressive is your fire prevention? Now, that also includes your fire brigades and, and you know, your professional response, your volunteer response and all the different pieces. But like where I'm like seeing the opportunity and where we're focusing fire rovers, really the solutions are, you know, it's, it's not just early detection. It's that 10 minutes, right? So it's the early detection utilizing thermal cameras, heat imaging, you know, smoke analytics and all the different things. So I want to catch the fire as soon as a human would catch it or before. Right now, assuming a, a human was standing there, and obviously a lot of times that isn't the case. But you know, if we look at that initial ten minutes, and then also setting that tripwire earlier in the process. So you know, with a rubber fire, sometimes we can catch a heat abnormality that's coming out of a pile from a deep seated fire. You know, sometimes you can't because literally it's insulated, and you know, we 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 dealt with a, a number of those where you know it basically just opens up and you know does a volcano. But really, how do you focus on those ten minutes? And how do you you get the fire department on scene? How do you get you know your internal operations doing the things that you've trained them to do? So again, that could be different for every operation. How do you have the technology and equipment that's in there that's trying to stop this from happening, or in theory can do something right away? And then what we're focused on is okay, looking at it from a macro view. If we see an abnormality, I want to catch the fire as soon as possible. You know, in a pre-incipient stage. My goal is always, I don't want a major fire incident, right? I, all of our industries that we're in have fire risk or have fires, right? And, you know, we're right now in, in hazard materials. We do, you know, we do a ton of like rubber waste recycling. We do a ton of industrial. Um, and that's really where we're getting to kind of the evolution of our solution, which is, you know, initially we had a box that was a 20 by 8 by 8 container. You know, you can, you just need internet electricity and it shoots for 12 minutes and, you know, it goes, you know, it'll shoot about 280 feet by 140 feet. Well, we've gotten to a point where we've gotten variances on replacing sprinkler systems. And really that's what, you know, I just did a large, um, in the beginning of the year, we did a large lithium ion battery, like plant operation uh, for EV batteries. And, you know, the whole idea is that we are the sprinkler system in these, in these, um, you know, from a performance-based application, like our, 
our type of solution is replacing sprinkler systems because sprinkler systems are, they're a lot more expensive and they're focusing on a completely separate type of, of, of issue. It's containment. It's not elimination. And so really that's kind of where, you know, the changes that we have, we actually just finished a waste to energy facility that we're, we're putting in cameras, nozzles. Um, we're actually like managing the furnace protection, but like all this is set up from an automated perspective with a UL certified agent that is looking and verifying all the different pieces, reacting, working with the fire department, working with, you know, the, the internal fire, the internal um, resources of the organization, but we don't even use a box, right? We're actually taking the existing fire suppression system, the existing pumps, it's a dry system, and we're taking, putting nozzles and cameras, and, you know, we're able to handle, like, control of those from the control room as well as backup, you know, with, with our existing system. So, you know, th- there's a lot of things that are pretty exciting, you know, and, you know, most of the time I think, you know, we're kind of, uh, you know, we're trying to prove ourselves, but obviously waste and recycling is, has been, you know, given us the credibility to go out there and, uh, and you know, and, and work on different types of hazards more into your spaces, right? Yeah, it makes sense. And so I want to, I want to break down a couple of the, the how, and we did cover how the fire rover system worked two years ago in episode 14 of the podcast. And I just want to summarize some of what you said so that the audience is clear about, you know, how this, how this works, what it looks like. And then, you know, some of the things we've done over the last, last two years and Ryan and his team at, at fire rover did win recycling equipment innovator award by the national waste and recycling association so they have been we'll say the industry has been paying attention to the, the work that you've been doing and trying to improve these types of systems but there's there's a couple of steps there's identifying the fire so that includes thermal cameras heat imaging smoke detection uh, but once identified and, and you mentioned you're trying to identify it basically as good as a human standing there on fire watch would or better and obviously uh, when a, a human's not there on fire watch you can also detect it when you do detect it, you know, there's suppression activities, there's fire elimination activities, as opposed to sort of sprinklers that are just more to control the fire. But you also do something interesting where you, you'll you automatically contact notify the company, you'll automatically contact notify the fire department with sort of set information. Where's the fire in the building? You know, relating that to maybe their pre-planning routines if they know where, say, chemical storage is or, you know, hazards or that sort of thing. And are you still, is that still all, like, do you still have an operator? When we last talked, I believe you had an operator that was actually alerted when something tripped in the facility, a fire rover operator, and then they would start this whole process. But is it still kind of manual like that, or is it more automatic today? Well, no, I mean, and actually, I think that's, I mean, first of all, it's a great point. So, yes, it's all manual, right? And again, when I say that, I mean, you know, our solution, and if, if you look at the, you know, kind of the evolution of the fire safety industry, I mean, the goal was to go, and the goal still is to go 100% automated. But what I think a lot of those solutions were missing was the human element, right? So, you know, our system is, it's, it, it, it's completely software driven. It's, you know, like we do everything we can to identify, look at, verify, and we're in pretty active locations, right? So forklifts going by, and I mean, unlike a typical type of, of camera, I mean, we're getting hundreds of alerts per camera per day. Um, now, again, our software will will mute some of them, right? And, and they, they can clean out as many as, 
the software allows. But then, you know, we also, there's a balance because, you know, we have a human operator who is, you know, based in a UL certified five diamond facility, more than enough butts and seats. These are very highly trained individuals and they have a joystick at their desk. And they like when uh, like the hardest part of their job is clearing false alarms. Right. So a lot of times like we'll see an image, we'll look at it. Okay. That was a forklift clear. We'll see an image, look at it, verify. And you know, the easiest part of their job, I like to say is actually shooting the fire over system, you know, and and shooting the nozzles. The hardest part is literally clearing, you know, all the false alarms. But once they do see an incident, then they go into, you know, number one, they follow our communication protocol and they're doing this simultaneously too, with the push of a button where we're putting nitrogen power and pressurizing our tank. And then, you know, they're able to actually shoot and, uh, and aim at an existing facility or at, at the, at the, um, at the heat source. And again, we use like an environmentally friendly cooling agent. It's a wetting agent. So, you know, we don't need the amount of water that, you know, a lot of older traditional systems have. And I think that's always been like when we first started with Fire Rover, the idea was, you know, you have a sprinkler system and then you'd have Fire Rover as additional protection, you know, whether it's a tip floor, whether it's for your infeed drum, whether it's for a pile or some sort of material pile or chemical storage or something, right? And then that's now changed into, okay, well, really the sprinkler systems never go off. We've actually put out over a thousand incidences in our facility since we started in 2015. In the past three months, we've had 40 facilities that we've put out. Now, again, if you're an insurance company, the biggest thing they're looking for is catastrophic losses. I mean, we had an incident that's, that's on the Fire Rover uh, YouTube page that happened at one of our clients in California. And honestly, like they had an accelerant that, I mean, this looked like a massive fire. If, if it wasn't for us, I mean, th- the facility would have been down. And most of the time, I think to your point, like we're shooting for 20 seconds, 30 seconds. It's not, it doesn't look amazing, right? I mean, I might shoot clear, done, built-in firewatch, we're good, right? I mean, it's a, it, 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 it doesn't look like people want to see. They think our system is huge explosion or huge this. And the answer is, I mean, we actually have probably 30 or 40 of those big incidences where we put a rubber feedstock fire out that was a 3,000 degree fire in four and a half minutes. Or we put out, you know, an accelerant inside a construction and demolition facility. And literally you watch this, we shot it for 12 minutes. The fire department came and finished it off. But like there was zero damage to the building, right? They were literally up and running the next day. So, you know, I mean, and again, we've had a couple of catastrophic losses, but, you know, when a fire rover box is covering a specific area and a fire starts behind that box, there's nothing I can do, right? I mean, you know, there, we're going to have catastrophic losses. We're not 100% guaranteeing that there's never, ever going to be a fire. Um, the other one that we had, there was, a, you know, our, our client had 25-foot piles in a 30-foot building, and we had sent them emails every day saying, guys, we don't have line of sight. We need line of sight. So, you know, this isn't a one-size-fits-all, throw it in, and all of a sudden you're never going to have a fire again. There's still work, and there's training, and there's all these things that go with it, and but but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, we've we've seriously um, curbed the amount of catastrophic losses in our, our in our in our customers, like compared to someone who doesn't have our system. So again, I think the idea with NWRA and we won the Innovator Award or the Innovation Award for this year. The innovation on the Fire Rover system was 
putting a manifold off the back. So we were given a variance in a MRF in, in, uh, in Michigan. It's, it's in Marquette, Michigan. It's a state-of-the-art MRF. Um, and instead of putting sprinklers in, they put in our fire rover system. We added in the manifold. So think that we can shoot for 8 to 12 minutes. And then the fire, the fire department has a quick connect from the outside where they can connect. And we use their pressure to continue to shoot for the 40-minute requirement that you need from a sprinkler perspective. And then we have backup 4G and we have a couple CAF systems. And that's really what has given us the ability to, from a performance-based perspective, replace a sprinkler system in, in, in a, that type of an occupancy. Um, and we're getting more and more of these, right? So whether it's formal or informal based on the jurisdiction. Yeah, it makes sense. I want to I want to highlight just a couple of things that came to mind cuz you 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 sort of said you know that you're not going to get everything. It could be behind a a, a box or, or whatever, but I want to highlight th- three things that are tremendously valuable that I that come to mind. So so even even when you can't suppress the fire immediately, you still do the alerting of the fire department, you still do the alerting of staff and personnel. Um, and you still have eyes on the fire. So I think all three of those things would reduce the potential impact, even if it does end up growing out of control. You know, you're probably saving lives. You're getting people out of there. You're saving product. So just the ability to be able to alert in the rare say, case that I can't suppress a fire is is one thing. Two is is human interaction in general. And we see this with one of the, the loss scenarios for combustible dust, not there are some loss scenarios I think you know this solution may not apply as much to, but one that it does apply to is you have a fire in a bin or a hopper and the employee goes over and tries to put out and ends up causing an explosion. We've seen this in metal recycling where you go spray your, your rated fire extinguisher, you knock some dust off the conveyor, you knock some dust out of the bin, and there's a flash fire and explosion. Um, having eyes on the ground that's reviewing this gets that human out of there and has you replacing it with your system. So I think that's an important and valuable part of it. And then the third, and, and probably the, the longest term, like if you think about applying the solution over 5, 10, 15, 50 years, is that you're getting valuable feedback on every incident that that just wasn't even, like wasn't collected before. So even if you do have a large loss incident, you can learn from that. You know, you, you get the stacks out of the way. You could, you know, use those examples, but you can, you, you're collecting a lot more data about a fire, the ones you put out and the ones that you don't necessarily put out than ever before. And I think that's where you get the real gains over time. That's where you see the industry being in a completely separate place 10 years from now than it is now because the 10 years before that, you didn't learn anything. The building burned down and maybe you can go look at the, the wreckage and, you know, determine a couple things, but it's nothing like the kind of data that you collect from a, from a fire rover or other similar system. So we, we've talked a lot about the, the fire rover system. I do want to talk about some of the other things that have happened over a couple of years, but I want to give you a little bit of space there if there's anything that came up from, from those points. Well, yeah, no, I mean, absolutely, right? And I think, I mean, you know, I follow, like, you know, you had a great quote, the Volvo quote, right? Like where, where safety, you know, has no competition, right? So like, again, I'll give you full credit for that. But at the same time, I mean, you know, I think from a waste and recycling industry, the whole idea that, you know, I'm going to see these fires and we have a front row seat to all these fire incidences. And again, like most of the injuries that we've seen in waste and recycling 
unfortunately are to fire professionals, right? Most of the time the employees can get out. We see the same thing. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those that, you know, for us to get rid of injuries, we have to literally get rid of fires, right? Like if, you know, one of the, uh, one of the head of the associations years ago, you know, when I asked him why we didn't focus on fire as an issue is because, you know, waste and recycling, you know, you just have so many deaths that happen from, you know, from, from customers that drive around trucks and, you know, they just don't pay attention. So, I mean, listen, that's way more important than fires, right? I mean, if, if you have, you know, truck drivers that are dying, I mean, listen, I mean, if I'm going to focus my resources on something, I'm focusing on death before I'm focusing on injury, I'm focusing on injury second, and then I'm worried about business continuity and other things. So, I mean, I think, you know, to get rid of the injury, you get rid of fire and you don't have the professional response. Like, that's the answer. And I think, you know, what you said is really, really, really important is that, you know, we've had fires for years. And most of the time, the company doesn't want your employee to be on the front lines from not not just an insurance perspective, but from an injury perspective, and they utilize the wrong tools. So that's where I, I, I have a line of cast systems that we that we push. And the reason we do that is because, I mean, a fire extinguisher was made for one purpose only, right? And again, you know, you can argue with me if you're, I mean, I don't think you personally will argue with me on this one, but, you know, people can argue with me. But the idea is this, is that a fire extinguisher was created so that you could run out of a burning building and get out. It wasn't created for you to stand four feet away on top of a fire and try to shoot it for one minute. I mean, and, and I can tell you, I've seen a ton of different scenarios. I mean, one where we had two, two employees got into a loader with no harness, the loader lifted them up. They will spray into our, like, the, you know, to our metering drum. And literally, they're stopping our system from shooting. So they sprayed. It literally looked like, I mean, if you watch the video, it looks like they're poking the bear. I mean, it's all it's doing is making it worse. They're adding oxygen. They're, they're throwing the fire in 10 different places. And literally, you see our system come in the minute they get down and get out of the way. We start spraying. We have it out in 40 seconds. We would have had that out in 10 seconds had they not done what they did. So a lot of what we do is, is training to, you know, watching a big piece is like deep seated fires, right? When you see deep seated fires, you know, the first thing that, that, that a lot of people try to do in a feedstock pile is take a crane and open it up and pull the fire out the worst thing you could possibly do. They're adding oxygen to it, right? Like all you're doing is, I mean, you can create the, the issue there. So I think, you know, once we start to explain to them, guys, we're going to pre-wet it, then when it's ready and we don't see that there's any sort of heat abnormality, then you can take away a layer. Let's pre-wet that layer. Let's take away another layer. There's ways to utilize them the right way. And I think that's really to your point, like what we're learning and, you know, the fact that we have a front row seat you know, can teach everybody how to fight these fires better or how to not fight these fires better or, you know what I mean, if, if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. In, we'll say, combustible dust proper, whatever that means. <laughs> the, you know, ag industries, um, woodworking industries, industry we work with, we're just now kind of, I say just now, it's, it's stuff that's been published several times over the last century, but it's come to the surface again on silo fires, on how slowly you need to remove material when you're fighting a silo fire to avoid a knocking down the silo and b causing a, a explosion in the headspace or oxygen get pulled through the silo if you open up a latch at the bottom the top makes the fire worse so we're kind of learning some of these things from response to instance and then same as somebody going out and responding to a, a fire and trying to put it out uh, unfortunately that's you know 
taken um, several lives that, that we caught in our incident reporting. And firefighters are are one of the, the largest, I think one in three people injured in a combustible dust incident are firefighters from our, our reporting, somewhere around there. That's not a, you know, give or take some uh, some percentage. I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but we see a lot and, and the deaths are both the same. So we response to fires is something that's the critical importance to combustible dust industries. And it's something that we're slowly learning about and tools like this are, are helpful in doing that. I will say it's not the only, you can have a piece of ductwork that is full of dust and it ignites in milliseconds because a static electricity ignites it or a hot screw gets sucked into it. Maybe that fire rover system might see the hot screw, but there are ignition scenarios where you have an explosion start inside equipment propagate through blow to a piece of ductwork and, and injure a worker that fire rover is not going to catch. So I, my position would be that fire rover is not the only solution. You need some explosion protection that happens in the order of milliseconds as well. Um, but keeping that in mind, I'm a big proponent of systems like this where you're getting feedback every instant that happens. So the whole, whole reason I have the instant database as part of dust safety science is to try to get this learning and you know we get one hundredth or one thousandth the piece of information that you might get from a fire rover video about an incident at your facility to make those decisions from. So I I, I think it's really important. Yeah, and I, I mean, listen, I, I I would never disagree with what you're saying. I am not saying that the fire rover solution is the only solution, right? I mean, I just think that it's it's the macro solution, you know. And and we were created so you know, what we've created is a, is a targeted deluge system. So, you know, when you have an explosion, the goal is to get as much material on that as possible. So what, one, one thing I probably didn't say before, which is that we're utilizing different nozzles, different flow rates. And I mean, we can actually, we can do a lot more than what our traditional system used to be able to do. Right. I mean, our fire rover box is, it's a great solution, right? It's, you know, I can drop it in the middle of a scrap metal facility and I have it up in five weeks. You know, I mean, I can literally put it up in two days and have it out there ready and protected and it can be moved and, you know, has other things. But I think to your point, um, you know, it's one of those that when you have like the new solutions that we're building, um, you know, we have a, a pretty close one on a, um, like the 409 NFPA uh, for hangar protection, right? And, you know, of course we have to get the flow rates have to be a lot higher. The pressure has to be higher. We're going to be shooting, you know, to 180 feet to 200 feet, you know, and, and, you know, so it's, it's like all the different things. I mean, we can build solutions with the different requirements, you know, and again, I'm not taking away, you know, the fact that you need to really drop a ton of material quickly, um, and that's really what our kind of the evolution has been and, and to try to work with our customers to make sure that, you know, all of their hazards are properly addressed. And again, like we work with a ton of fire engineers to do that, right? So a lot of fire engineers will reach out to me and say, hey, I love the bones of this material or the bones of the solution. How do we address this type of application? And again, like that's what we're looking for. Um, you know, so we're doing a lot. And to, to your point, Wood, I mean, like there's a lot of activity around that. There's a lot of activity in aviation. There's a lot of activity, you know, in industrial and manufacturing. And, you know, so I mean, hopefully in two years, I'll come back and say, hey, this, 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 this. And these are the new industries that, you know, we're in. But I mean, right now, I mean, we've had verbal awards. We just, we haven't had them installed yet. So, you know, they're, I, I can't I hesitate to talk about specific ones until they're finished and we know exactly how the solution, you know, uh, performs inside these types of uh, occupations or occupancy, sorry. 
I'm excited to see them come out and excited. You know, well, we won't wait another another uh, 97 episodes to catch you on. <laughs> but what I guess what are some other things? I mean, we talk we we sort of um, went to geek out a bit on on some fire science topics. What you know, we talked about the the um, innovation award with NWRA and National Waste and Recycling Association. Talk about how the technology has evolved, how your visions evolved. Is there anything else you want to make sure we, you know, get into this discussion about some of the things you've done over the last two years? Yeah, no, I mean, I, honestly, I think like the, the idea that, you know, we now have a kind of a do-it-yourself thermal-only solutions all the way to boxless, you know, full industrial solutions, you know, in, in theoretical, I mean, if you've been to a waste energy facility, it's a power plant, right? You know, we, we, we've created dual control now, which, you know, that was a big thing where we actually have pods in control rooms. Because a lot of our customers wanted that control, even though, you know, the jury's out whether or not we're going to be, you know, whether or not we're going to keep control 100% or they're going to keep control 100% or, you know, how it's going to be passed back and forth as needed. You know, and again, I think, you know, that's the exciting stuff, um, you know, and I do, from my perspective, I've, I've been working on some, I don't want to say some top secret things, but yeah, I mean, we've been working on some things like that. I mean, are are pretty insane. You know, one was a um, like a, a an airship. You know, that that was a lithium ion battery powered airship. So, you know, again, there's like, you know, if there are things out there that are you know interesting or different types of occupancies, and you don't know what to do, typically we become that answer, right? And from our perspective, we're flexible. And, you know, obviously we're going to we're do our research and make sure that we, you know, dot all I's and cross all T's. But, you know, the idea from, from our perspective is, you know, the solution and the bones of it work. Um, it's proven that it works, uh, you know, and, and again, it's, it's now, you know, I, I'm a couple things I'm excited about. One is I'm trying to get insurance companies back into the waste and recycling industry because I believe we have the numbers now finally and the data to do that. Right. So, you know, we're looking for the other industries that are having the same problem. And, you know, agribusiness is one of them. Right. I mean, you know, there's there's a, a ton in in paper mills and paper storage. You know, we can take a storage facility from a paper mill and, you know, they have a lot of these outdoor storage. Have you you know, and so one of the things that we're doing is, you know, when you have these these manual water cannons, or when you see a fire, you know, like we, I, I don't know how many you've seen, but I see all these pictures of you know, fire professionals, they're standing at the top of a ladder and that smoke is literally going right to their face, right? Like they're, they are breathing it in and they don't have apparatus. And even if they have apparatus, it can't be good. Right. So, you know, what we can do is I can literally put a camera and a nozzle on there and I can run that from their existing system. And the only difference is, is that that human who's operating it, number one, knows exactly where the heat source is. So hopefully we're going to put it out faster, but you know, most importantly, that human sitting behind a computer so that they're not breathing in, you know, the, the smoke. They're not, you know, they don't need oxygen apparatus. They don't, you know, they're not overheated when it's 90 degrees outside and, you know, you have a fire and, you know, your internal temp of your, you know, of your suit is, you know, 120 degrees, right? So, you know, I think that's really the, you know, the, the um, kind of the excitement from our side is, you know, how do we continue to evolve this and, you know, be more formalized, right? I mean, we actually were written into the performance code for one NFPA. We're also going down the path like FM approval, 
we didn't have FM approval and people always said why. And it was because they never had a, a um, they didn't have a test for us. So now they've actually put us into a smart monitor, a smart monitor definition, right? And that's what our solution will be. And again, it's hard for people to think smart monitor with a human being, but you know, human beings are smart, right? Like it doesn't have to be a computer to tell you that it's a smart monitor, right? And for our system, it is. It's like I always joke that we're like we're like that robot with the human inside, right? Yeah, we're using the technology to make us shoot faster and do all these things, but we still have that human brain who's making the decisions. And of course, you know, people always ask me, there are backups. So if somebody clears a false alarm and it's a real fire, it's not going to just clear and burn down the entire facility, right? There's, re, you know, it'll re-alarm and re-alarm and re-alarm and there's backups and there's all these different things. So, you know, I mean, I think it's one of those things that, you know, when, when I think of a, a robot fighting, you know, with the $6 million man, right? Like that kind of combination. I mean, it excites me. Yeah. It's like Iron Man in his suit or, uh, well, the other wizard of Oz is the other, the other one where you got the person behind that's making the decisions comes to mind, but yeah, there shows our ages, right? Like I mean, I'm saying freaking $6 million man and you're saying Iron Man. So I've never seen that movie. I should, I should probably go watch it. Yeah. I, I might have to Google $6 million man. So that's good. Yeah. It was, it was a good one. It was uh I think it was a TV show in, in the late seventies, early eighties. Well, I'm sure a lot of our audience will, uh, will, will understand and get the, the reference more than I will. So <laughs> no, this has been great. Um, Ryan's been good catching up, learning about, you know, where fire Rover was at two years ago when we last talked, where you go ahead towards today, some things you're doing in the future and some of the industries you're, you're moving into. We'll certainly have Ryan's contact information and, and links to fire Rover's website, the YouTube channel there, because I have a lot of great, uh, video material. So the audience can can get that information at dustsafetyscience.com slash 101. So I, I now have to move into the hundreds as we're saying that. Um, is there any kind of last thing you want to leave the audience with before we, we cut off for this interview? No, I mean, I, you know, I, honestly, I, I think it's one of those that if you have a question about our system, I mean, a lot of people see the videos and don't truly understand the amount of work, effort, and and ingenuity that are behind it. And again, like, you know, I am definitely part of the team, but you know, we have a really good team of guys in uh, guys and girls, right. In, in Detroit. Um, and, you know, they, they do amazing things. And honestly, it's uh you know, we've, we've built a pretty, you know, it's like when you're doing a startup, you know, and again, I should say, I mean, we're past the startup phase, right. We, we don't, you know, we're not looking for funding. We're very profitable. We're doing, I mean, again, doing very well from a, from a business perspective and obviously for our customers to sign 20 year deals with us, right. Or five year deals with us, um, with, you know, with extensions of five years on each one. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, we're committing to this industry. We're committing to growing our business. We're committing, you know, to, you know, other industries as well outside of, you know, just waste and recycling. And, uh, you know, I'm feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or in my email anytime. If you have questions and want to learn more, you know, whether you're an insurer or a uh, operator, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, we're definitely here to help. Perfect. And I, yeah, I'd second that. If you're interested in this sort of technology, we'll definitely have um, Ryan's contact information uh, in the show notes and you can go check him out there. Ryan, I want to say thank you again for coming on. We will not wait another, well, maybe we'll make you 201, but I don't want to wait another 90, 100 episodes to get you back on the podcast. So I'm sure we'll be talking before then. No, it sounds good. I mean, I, I wonder who got the hundred spot, right? I mean, I think that's the uh, that's the big one. People that are listening to this live will know because the game will last week. 
but uh, I haven't actually recorded one one hundred yet. We're going to record that after the session. <laughs> oh, nice! So I am the real. I, I'm the real one hundred. Perfect. You, I guess you are. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks, Ryan. I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. No, not a problem. Thanks, man. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Ryan Fogelman, the VP of Fire Elimination Solutions with Fire Rover, based out of Detroit. And we've been talking about the evolution of the, the Fire Rover system and the work that he's been doing there. So we had Ryan on back in episode 14 of the podcast, as we said, 97 episodes ago, talking about fire hazards and waste and recycling facilities, talking about how they go about evolving, what the different stages are, and how the Fire Rover solution fits into that framework in preventing and eliminating these these fires before they escalate to a, a condition where you know you can have injuries, you can have large facility losses. So we talked about a bit about the system, the technology, about identifying, you know, how you identify a fire, what happens after it's identified, how the system works in terms of integration with actual human beings on the fire rover side that are controlling the systems and you know clearing false positives, doubling down and, and checking when needed, and doing that sort of cross-referencing that's needed for these type of fire events. We jumped into some of the advantages of this system that I see. I mean, obviously there's advantages to the owner and operator to have less fires. <laughs> so step one, if you're you know in a facility that's having fires, this might be a solution to be able to help you there. But there's some kind of big picture things here that I, I pulled out that I think are really important. So even in a case where it doesn't necessarily stop a fire because the fire's in some strange place, you can alert the team, you can alert the management, you can alert the firefighter department, and you're still going to have a better response to that fire than you would otherwise have. Um, so the fire is going to be smaller when you respond to it. And you're also going to have a lot more information about what's going on when you respond. That's going to allow you to reduce facility damages, reduce facility loss, stop it from growing out of control. Human interaction is a big thing. And we see this with firefighters. We also see this with workers where the response of those individuals to fires can often trigger a sequence of events that negatively impacts them or negatively impacts the facility. Solutions like Fire Rover remove the need of having a human there because you have a human set of eyes on the situation already, plus you have the technology in place to combat that. And then the the last sort of big ad- advantage that I like from the system is that you're constantly learning. Every time you put out a fire, that's great. You've learned something. Every time it grows bigger than you thought it should, you learn something there as well. And this is a way that you can move an industry forward recording, reporting, educating with this information is, is a way to really improve things. And it's definitely given me food for thought for how we can do this in combustible dust as well. Uh, we close up the interview just talking about where Fire Rover's headed, some of the improvements they made to their system, discussion around you know who's actually controlling the system, if we're letting the operators do that uh, manual involvement, integration of existing and older type of fire systems, I think is a, a really interesting one. That's something Ryan brought up with you know, replacement fire sprinkler systems and that, and also where he's headed in the future, talking about FM approvals and everything along those lines. So I appreciate you listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I had a really great time with with Ryan. If you want to contact him, his information will be at the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 101. Now that I'll say have a, a safe week ahead, and I appreciate everything you're doing in industries handling combustible dust around the world. 